This morning we're going to be looking at uh, a rather huge chunk of Luke's gospel. And so you'll notice uh, either in the bullets or on the screen as you as you read along, we're going to we're going to jump ahead. Don't worry, we're going to come back and cover some of that ground. But the reason that I'm reading uh, and preaching what I'm doing this morning is because both of these passages have a lot in common. Uh, and so we're going to we're going to look at them together. So we're going to start in Luke chapter nine. Uh, and if you uh, if you don't have a copy of, of the Bible, please grab the one there in the chair. Um, if you're using that ch- the, the one there in the row, it's page 866. We're going to read Luke 9, 1 through 6, and then 10 through 17. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 10 of Luke. And I think you'll see why as I read it. So... Uh, Let's give attention to God's Word. And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. We're going to jump down to verse 10. Verses 7 through 9 just show us that the the news about Jesus is reaching even to the palace and even causing Herod the Great to ask the question, Who is this Jesus? Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, because we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus now is uh, making his trek to Jerusalem, and so this happens in the context of that trip. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. 
and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. That's a lot of stuff. Let's ask for God's help. Father, as we uh, look at these two journeys, these two mission trips, we just ask that you would help us. More than information accumulation, Lord, we need transformation. And so, God, would you use your word to transform us from the inside out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, as a kid, I, I like to tinker, and I still do, like to tinker with electronic things, computers, etc. And I don't know if you can still do this with TVs, but used to. Um, so, the, the, the three primary colors of the TV, you may not know this, are red, green, and blue. And used to, as a kid, I think it probably frustrated my parents, uh, I would like go into the settings... And you could, you could actually move a slider, right? Or like you could make it more green or less, more red or blue. But the, the combination of those three colors is what makes the picture on your TV screen. And if one of those is out of balance, if one of the, if you have too much of one, then the picture looks off and you need to adjust. 
Well, in, in the same way, the Christian life is, is a filter. It's a matrix of three things. Worship, community, and mission. Uh, so instead of tinkering with the red, the green, and the blue, uh, our lives are a mix of worship, community, and mission. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to, um, to make a filter out of those three words. And I want you to place it over the, the, the television story of your day, over the, the moments of your day. What is your, what is your balance, right? If you pull up the screen of your day and you look at the mix of worship, community, and mission, what do you see? What is, uh, what is your blend of those three things? Uh, and if it's anything like mine, uh, we, we love the second one, right? We love community. Because, I mean, who doesn't want to belong and who doesn't want to have friends? So we're big fans of community. We always want community. We, we celebrated community this past Wednesday when we did our park day. And if you weren't there, you missed out. Um, but we'll still let you be a part of our community. It's okay. Um, wait, so we love community. We love the second one. But we kind of tolerate the first one, right? Uh, worship. I mean, that's just like, that's what we're supposed to do. So we do it. But then we avoid the third one, mission, like the plague. Uh, that one, that's the one that makes us really uncomfortable. And actually, just kind of as an aside, uh, if we, the, those three things, this is kind of where the analogy falls apart. They're not three equal things. That really, the foundation for good mission and good work, and good mission and good community is worship. Right? Mission and community spring out of worship. And so if you love community more than you love worship, odds, you have, you have flipped things on their head. Um, but we'll get, we'll get more into that in a minute. So today, particularly what we're going to look at is this idea of mission. And the reason we're looking at the mission is because Jesus sends out two groups of missionaries, right? Uh, he sends out the 12, and then uh, later on in his, in his ministry, he sends out the 72. Now, you may be looking at that and thinking, oh gosh, we have five sermon points. Um, it's okay, I'm going to shrink them down, or try to. So it won't, like, you know, it won't be the regular size sermon point, okay? Um, but these are several components... Uh, of, from, of mission that uh, I'm pulling out of these two episodes. Five things we can learn about mission uh, from these two episodes. And the first one is this, and, and really it, it's the main question, what is mission? Like when we talk about mission, what exactly are we talking about? What is it that we are doing? And both the sending of the 12 and the 72, what we see them doing is they do good works, and they speak good news. They do good works and they speak good news. Several times in those passages, their, their ministry is described the same way again and again. They are sent out to heal and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. They're healing and casting out demons and they are proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So in other words, mission is both word and deed. Word and and deed. They are to do good and they are to speak good. In fact, it seems like their doing opens up opportunities for their speaking. Look at chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus commissioning the 72 says, 
Heal the sick. He says, whenever, whatever, whenever you enter a town, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So their healing ministry, their ministry of good works opens up opportunities to speak about the gospel. Let's speak about the kingdom. They demonstrate the kingdom first. And as they demonstrate the kingdom, it gives them opportunities to speak about the kingdom. But we should probably pause right there and, and ask the question, what is the kingdom? When this, is, this, is, this, this phrase, kingdom of God, is important for the gospel writers. They say it all the time. Uh, and most of us really don't think about it in these terms. What, is it, what does it mean? What is God's kingdom? Uh, and you could define it several ways, but the easiest way that I found is simply to say it is God's rule and reign over his people, as opposed to the reign of sin and death. Right? So it is God's rule and reign over his people. It is when God rules and reigns over his people as opposed to sin and death. And so it was supposed to be, uh, it was supposed to be something that Israel demonstrated in the Old Testament and they failed to do. They were supposed to be a demonstration of God's kingdom reign and instead they allowed sin and death to reign and it broke uh, the kingdom of Israel. And so that would have left lots of people during this time asking the question, where is God? What is he doing? Have you ever asked that question? Particularly people who are subject to the, the, the illnesses and the evil powers that Jesus talks about, right? They're asking the question, when is God going to break in? When is God going to do something? And so when these messengers show up and say the kingdom of God is here... That would have been good news. That would have been a great announcement for them to hear. This idea that God is breaking into history to rescue his people. And so that's what Jesus does, right? Jesus, the, Jesus comes along and one of the very first things he starts saying is that the kingdom has come. Repent and believe the good news. And so these messengers then are sent out to, to announce the very same thing that Jesus has been announcing. They are working for Jesus. They are sent out to display God's kingdom in good works and then preach the good news. They're displaying the kingdom and preaching the kingdom. Now, what does that have to do with us? On the, on the surface of it, we would say the same thing. Our ministry is the same. It is a ministry of both word and deed. I don't believe that we're given the same power as these guys were. And that's a, you know, if, if you want to discuss that top, if you want to discuss that topic later, uh, I'm good for coffee or lunch. All right. I don't believe that we are given the same power that these apostles were given. It's a different era in salvation history. But I do believe that we are still to demonstrate God's reign and rule through good works and to speak uh, good news to weary people. So our ministry is both word and deed. And the, and the and is important because most of us tend to gravitate towards one or the other, don't we? Right? Some of us, some of us talk a lot. It's what we do. Okay? And some of us would rather not talk. We would rather just work. And so like, the, uh, the, the misquote from St. Francis of Assisi, you may have heard this, it's actually, he actually did not say it. Uh, St. Francis was actually quite the preacher. But it is often misquoted to him, this line of, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. 
That that's that Saint Francis actually didn't say that, um, but we disagree with that sta- with that statement, right? The statement seems to say that well, if you'll just do good things and if you'll just be a good example, then that's that's good enough, right? That's the gospel right there, and, and use words if necessary. But that creates an unnecessary division between word and work. We believe in both. We would say preach the gospel, use words, they're necessary. Right? People aren't going to know the kingdom unless they're told the kingdom. But they're also not going to see the kingdom if we don't demonstrate it through good work. So our ministry is both word and deed. They go together. Don't, don't create an unnecessary dichotomy between the two. Well, Kevin, what does that look like? What does it mean to do good works in our context? Uh, starting next Sunday, uh, after the sermon, I'm going uh, I'm to play three videos over the next three weeks of ministry opportunities that we have uh, if, we, if we choose to walk into them, okay? Uh, good ministries that combine both word and deed. So, uh, but I, I want you to go ahead and be thinking about that for your own life. How, how do I demonstrate God's kingdom? What does that look like for me? Uh, and then how do I proclaim God's kingdom, word and deed, the second component of mission in these stories we see is this command from Jesus to travel light. To travel light. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 3. As Jesus sends out these disciples, he says, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and not even a change of clothes. You basically get the shirt on your back. And then over in 10.4, he says, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Man, a jerk. Like, you don't even say hey to people? What does he mean? Um, so when I, was a, when I was a young Boy Scout, first starting out, uh, it's kind of the irony that the, the motto of the Boy Scouts is be prepared. And to an 11-year-old boy, be prepared means throw everything you can possibly think of in the bag before you head out on the camp out. Um, but the irony of that is that that will actually leave you unprepared. Because now you're unprepared for the terrain. And you're unprepared for the mileage. Because you're going to have to carry all that junk that you packed in your bag six miles before you stop to camp. Right? Um, so... I remember when we would take a, when we would go on a backpacking trip, which is a chubby out of shape young man I was not keen on, um, that we even had like a handout that showed us like a diagram of a backpack and where to put what things so that we would carry only what we needed. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. Take only what you need. Travel light. This is an urgent mission. Don't accumulate lots of stuff. The more stuff you carry, the more it will slow you down. And we are in earnest here. That's why he says, don't greet people on the road. Right? You can imagine, you know, uh, I, people in the ancient Near East uh, probably are even friendlier than Southerners. Uh, you know, if you saw someone on the road, you stopped and you talked for a long, 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 long time. Right? You ask them about their mama and them and how all that stuff was going. Right? Jesus is saying, nope. You give them the head. Act like a Northerner. Give them the head nod and keep moving, 
right? Because we're, we're urgent here. We need to keep moving. Don't get distracted. Don't get weighed down. Travel light. Jesus wants his messengers to be unburdened and undistracted to keep moving. And that means that they were going to have to trust God to provide what was necessary. And everything else, leave it behind. Everything else, leave it behind. And so they would go into these various towns and they would find a home. Uh, and in uh, and in chapter 10, he calls the people who live there sons or children of peace, right? People who were receptive to their message. If they found a home that was receptive to them, they stayed there. And that became their home base for that town. And they lived on the generosity of others, right? And that, um, so they had to trust God that there was going to be somebody in that town who would provide for them. And if there was no one there, then they would have to move on and trust God to provide somewhere else. But the key thing is that, in essence, they were to live as pilgrims, as travelers, not as people who were putting down roots. They were not residents, right? And this gives us a picture of uh, our status. If you're in Christ, our status in this current world, uh, that we are travelers. We are merely immigrants, citizens of another kingdom. And in the same way, we need to travel light. We need to trust God to provide. How many of us are burdened as we're, as we're trying to live on mission for Jesus? How many of us are burdened with the accumulation of just stuff? How many of us uh, are weighed down by large debts that siphon off our ability to give generously. How many of us are distracted by unnecessary Amazon shopping sprees? Right? Uh, our eyes are always on the material, what we can see and what we can't. And so Jesus says, travel light. Don't accumulate lots of stuff. Do you want to live on mission for the kingdom or do you want to live large? That's the choice before us. Uh, travel light, expect rejection. You can expect rejection. Look at what Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 3. He says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Some of you have met sheep. Some of you have owned sheep. And, she, and so you know just how dangerous this is. Right? The sheep is not a very intimidating animal. Nor is the sheep a very bright animal. Um, as, one, as I heard one guy say, they're basically fluffy meat sacks. Um, they're, they're like a... They, as a who did, uh, somebody told me that in Texas, they just call them good animals looking for a place to die. Alright, that's... Uh, that's sheep. When you take your children to a petting zoo, right? When you put your child in, the, there's a reason, A, that, that lambs, sheep, are the ones in the petting zoo. Not the carnivorous wolf, but the sheep, okay? Don't pet those, pet these. These are safe animals, right? But when you put your child in the fence with the lamb, are you worried about your child? Are you afraid for their safety? No, I'm actually afraid for the lamb when I put my children in the fence, right? I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Be easy, be easy, right? Why? Because sheep have no natural defenses. They basically can run. 
And even when they do that, they fall over. Right? And so when Jesus says, uh, like, lambs are not fierce, lambs are not well defended. Uh, so when Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, he's saying, this is going to be a dangerous road. People are going to not like you. People are going to not like what you have to say. You need to be ready for that. And what exactly is a lamb supposed to do in the midst of wolves? If she can't protect herself, she has to look to her shepherd. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Not only do we trust God for our provision so we can travel light, but we can also trust God for our protection so that we can expect rejection. People are not going to be happy with the message of the kingdom because it means that their kingdom is going to have to die. Right? You don't have rival king- when kingdoms. Come, when one kingdom comes against another, do you know what happens? It's called war, right? Um, one, of, one kingdom will emerge victorious. And so people who are in the rival kingdom are not happy with that outcome, right? And when we walk into that conflict, when we walk into that war, as Jesus is telling us to do, we need to know that there's going to be some blowback. There's going to be some hostility. And when that happens, we're lambs, not wolves, We don't have natural defenses. We don't have claws. We don't have teeth. We have a shepherd, and that's it. And either he's good enough to protect us or not. So we're going to trust God uh, and expect, trust God to protect us in the midst of rejection. Fourth, a fourth characteristic of mission is to be serious. To be serious. The message of the mission is literally life. Or death. Jesus tells both groups, as he sends them out, that if any place rejects them, if any town or home rejects them, then they are to literally wipe the dust off their feet as a judgment against them. Basically saying, we are done with you. That sounds really harsh. That's a sign of judgment. Why? Because to reject the king's messengers is to reject the king himself. If the king from a rival kingdom sends you a messenger under a white flag who says, Hey, uh, it's, time, it's time for you to surrender. My king is coming. So, so bow the knee and surrender. And you execute the messenger. Is it really the messenger that you've, that you've angered? No, it's his king. Right? To reject the king's messengers is to reject the king. Himself. Look at what Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 16. The one, and I want you to think about how weighty this is. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Well, who has sent Jesus? But... The Father Himself, God the Father. Jesus tells us that later on. And so this is a heavenly mission. And it's a mission, it's a plea for people to be reconciled to the King. But if you reject the messenger, you reject the message, you reject the King. Which is why Jesus 
uh, goes on to speak about these different cities. To, to reject the king is to invite his judgment. And this is not a pleasant thing to think about. But you see there in chapter 10 where he speaks woe over several cities there. He's, uh, he's already been and they've already rejected him. And he says, if anybody rejects you, if any town rejects you, it'll be better for Sodom on Judgment Day. You remember Sodom? That city in Genesis where rape and abuse were common and God actually poured down fire from heaven to destroy the city? Yeah, Jesus says that to reject Him is worse than that. That's how serious this is. And so we need to realize that our message has serious consequences. We're not picking sports teams. We're not picking ice cream flavors or even political candidates. Where somebody stands in relationship to Jesus has serious consequences and we need to realize that. But this is a life or death message. So not only do we need to be serious... But then we also need to rejoice. Rejoice. The 72, in particular, they come back and they're ecstatic, right? They're, they're rejoicing that even demons obey them. That's some serious power. And Jesus describes, uh, as, as, the, as His disciples are telling Him how excited they are about this, Jesus says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. What He appears to be saying is that as the disciples are uh, exercising this kingdom power, that it's actually ruining Satan's kingdom, that he is losing his power. And so Jesus says, yeah, you need to be excited. The kingdom of darkness is falling before you. Our mission is succeeded and Satan's power is being broken. And then he even goes on to say, you're seeing something, you're experiencing something that all of the prophets and kings of the Old Testament wish they could have seen. You are taking part of something that people for long ages wish that they were a part of. So yes, rejoice, you should be happy. And yet, the real cause for joy is not that they have been given this amazing power, not that they are a part of this amazing moment. The real, the real cause of joy comes in verse 20 of chapter 10. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says, Your position with God is more important than anything you can do for Him. Your position with God, how you stand with Him, is far more important than anything you're able to do. Be happy that you're seeing God at work. Be happy that you're joining Him in His work. But don't lose sight of your position. Don't lose sight of your security. Your work for Jesus does not make you more secure. Jesus is the only one who makes you secure. He alone is the anchor. He alone is the one who holds us fast. He is our position. And we don't want to lose sight of that. And that's what brings us to the last point. The one who is at the very center of the mission. Jesus himself. That if we are to engage in mission, we must trust the one who satisfies And this is where the feeding of the 5,000 people comes in. 
It's actually the 5,000 plus because Luke is just numbering the men who were there. So assuming that there are women and children present, there are over 5,000 people in the story present with Jesus. And so uh, the 12 return. This is in chapter 9. The, the, the 12 come back in verse 10. They're reporting to him. And Jesus says, well, let's go away. Let's, let's, we've done some serious work. Now let's get away for some serious rest. But the crowds haven't had enough. And so they learn where Jesus is and they follow him. And Jesus receives them. And he teaches them and heals them. That keeps coming up. Word and deed. Right? And so uh, it's the disciples, fresh off their mission trip, who are the first ones to see the problem. Jesus is talking, man. He's getting carried away with ministry. And the sun is setting And all of these 5,000 plus people are going to be stuck out here with no food and no place to sleep. And so, like any good church member, they come to the pastor and say, Hey, there's a problem you need to fix. That was meant to be a joke. They come to Jesus and they say, Hey, listen, uh, you need to send these people away. So if you'll stop telling them about the kingdom, if you'll stop doing all this good work, they need something to eat. All right, so let's send them away. Does that sound like a good plan? And I love what Jesus does. He says, no, you feed them. You minister to them. I just, I just called and equipped you, you know, however long ago. Now, you take care of it. You, you provide food for them. And where's the first place they go? Uh, well, I mean, here's what we got. Certainly, certainly not enough for uh, over 5,000 people. Unless, of course, you want us to, like, Go buy food for them all. All they can focus on is the material. They're walking by sight. They're living by sight, what they can see. And that's the, that's the rut we get in, right? We, 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 we live by what we can see. What resources do we have? What resources do we not have? They're basically saying to Jesus, um, we can't help. We don't have what it takes. And so... They've noticed what they don't have, but they're not paying attention to who they do have. The very one who sent them out on the mission to begin with. The very one who gave them power and authority to do great things. He's standing right there in their midst. And they've forgotten all about Him. They haven't noticed Him. And so Jesus demonstrates His power once again. And we, like these disciples, need to remember, right? When we're, when we're on mission and we're prone to think, man, we just don't have what it takes. We need to hear Jesus saying, you're absolutely right, you don't. But you do have me. And so Jesus demonstrates his power once again by providing food. Out of, those, out of that meager amount, Jesus provides enough for all 5,000 plus people to be fed. And you know what? Not only are they fed... They're satisfied. And not only are they satisfied, but there's leftovers. Jesus is not only enough, Jesus is more than enough. And if we will trust the one who satisfies, then we too will be able to engage in mission. You see, mission is rooted in worship. And the only way that we're going to the only way that we're going to engage in worship rightly is if we adore the one who can satisfy us. 
the one who is more than enough. If I don't adore Jesus, then I won't speak of him to others. I won't do any good work in his name. But once I see that he satisfies, once I see that he provides more than enough, once we see all that he has done, we won't be able to shut up. Because we will keep telling the story of this king who has given us everything and who has done everything. Let's pray.